Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Next question. What are your thoughts on post-nup agreements for both the addict and the betrayed? I think that's a question for an attorney. Um, and, uh, and I'm not sure what the purpose is. Um, if a couple's coming back together, maybe, and they want to reestablish their relationship. Um, but, I, you know, here's the thing I've heard about post-nuptial agreements and prenuptial agreements, what I've heard. And this is just what I've heard. I'm not an attorney. I'm not giving you professional opinion. You can't sue me. But this is what I've heard. They're not worth the paper that they're printed on. Because there's always a way around it, some legal this or that, you know, some clause that's missing. And a lot of people that I've worked with who have pre and post, it all got broken apart once. I've seen people at trusts, you know, who the, th- the lawyers went in like, okay, if they just equally shared. And, you know, so the way things are set up may not, when you got a really angry person who's going to go after their finances and fight you. That's the other thing is, do you want to be in a fight later? <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I, I would, if it were me and I was feeling really untrusting, I would say, what part is yours and what part is mine? And I want to have control over what part is mine. And you, just like we were divorced. And then if we work toward trust, we can rejoin our money, but let's figure it out now. I don't think a piece of paper is necessarily with expensive lawyers. Now, I'm not a professional. <laughs> I don't know. You know, it may, they may work great, but I've just heard they're just another piece of paper on some level. Tammy, do you know anything about that? I do. I actually know a lot of, I do enough with the betrayed partner groups that I know a fair number of people who have said as a condition for us continuing this journey, they wanted, you know, some degree of security. So I don't know how valid they are, how, you know, long lasting they are, but, but I think the willingness of the addict to be willing to sign it, I mean, that shows something. So to, to me, it was at least valuable in that, you know, the partner, you know, feels that they have some buy-in and the addict does too. So I don't know. Okay. Next well, question. I, Go ahead. I, just to you, I will say that we had an addict I spoke to recently who felt so badly about what he'd done to his spouse that he gave her hundreds of thousands of dollars just because he felt bad about it that because he had it. But, um, you know, I, 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 as the addict would be very prone toward being very giving and loving as best I could. What do we got? So next, next question. What resources and tools can I use to help me in mm. not dissociating during sex? Now that I am sober, I can't imagine having sex with another person without alcohol and while being emotionally sober. I should write a blog about this, Tammy. You should, but you, so I'm going to you know, point you and I'll put it in the chat because Dr. Rob did a, um, on, in the rooms, he did a video on this particular, you know, like sex was great when I was high, now what? And so I'm going to put uh-huh. that link oh. to that uh, video in the chat too. So the basic answer is, um, you got to trust your body. Someone else who violated you in the past that left you dissociating, they didn't respect your body and you didn't have a choice over it. Now you have to have safety and choice. Dissociation is about feeling out of control and I got to leave. This is just, I can't handle this. It's be, you know, it's so scary, even if it's not conscious. So the number one answer is go slow. You know, maybe it's hand holding, maybe it's someone massaging your chest while you masturbate them. I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, maybe it's you're holding your partner while they are pleasuring themselves. I mean, you don't have to have, you know, intercourse or, or 
or any kind of penetrative sex in order to love each other and be close to each other. So now you're not with someone. So let's put it down specifically for you. Um, it's going to, this is, these are therapy issues. These are things that you need to go get some, I mean, to me, this is a trauma issue. I think dissociation is, um, first of all, I think people who have been dissociated are really smart <laughs> because they have found a way to disappear when they're in so much pain. And it's like some of us didn't have that skill and we just developed all other kinds of problems. So in some ways, the ability to just go somewhere else and put it somewhere else, I think is actually a skill set. And I would credit yourself for that. The question is, can I turn it on and turn it off? We all dissociate, by the way, folks. When I drive down the freeway and I was thinking about work today and I realized, oh, I didn't even remember turning my signal on. I mean, I knew that I drove, appro drove appropriately, but I don't remember every second because I was thinking about something else. I was dissociating, daydreaming, you know, dissociation. It's healthy for us. However, when it's used in a means to run away from feelings or try to tolerate feelings that are overwhelming, it can make certain situations really difficult, like I can't have sex. So... Um, I would not see a sexologist because I think sexologists are not always focused on trauma. Um, I really would go see a therapist who's worked a lot with trauma survivors. It's also in your body. Tammy, you remember that book called The Body Keeps the Score? Yes, by Bessel van der Kolk. I don't know how, how readable that book is. I don't remember, but... It's more academic, but there's good pieces right. in it too. But I think that he might have a workbook now about it too, but there's... A lot of therapists that are that understand that concept and do body work as trauma work. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I, I would be in certain situations and I'd have some muscles start tensing up and I couldn't understand why. And you know, I go to therapy and I'd say, well, you know, there, and there's many, many ways to work with this, but I think you won't be able to do this by yourself. Okay, so next question. My SA is working on recovery. We found a person in SA meetings he attends once a week. We talk about the meeting and he confessed that he is afraid that he, if he works the program, he will become non-sexual. He said he feels shame and doesn't know how to have healthy sexual relationship. Well, Tammy, why don't you start with that one? Well, I'm, so I'm a little confused. We found a person in SA meetings he attends once a week. So I'm I not, understand that. I don't know what that means because like if he attends a meeting, I'm not, so I'm, I'm a little lost on that. So. Um, so this, I mean, this is fear, you know, and um, he doesn't have to become non-sexual. I mean, like we were just talking about, there's lots of ways to work through things, um, but there's a, um, a podcast on sex, love, and addiction that Dr. Rob did with Bill and Ginger Burkaw, um about sexual reintegration. There are you know, Dr. David talks about sensate focus. There's lots of ways to get through that, but um, but his fear is also the ability to be an excuse for why I don't really need to get into recovery because look what's going to happen. It's going to be horrible, you know? So go ahead. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just thinking like an addict and I'm thinking what a great way I can get you, get you to shut up for a while is if I just tell you as a spouse, oh my God, I have all this shame, blah, 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 and I can't do this. And you know, who cares? So what if he doesn't have sex for six months? It's not going to fall off. You know, it's going to be fine. Men think we have to sex all the time. We don't. Our bodies will take care of themselves. So what if he did become non-sexual? What if he didn't know how to have a healthy sexual relationship? You got to start with stopping the problem behavior. You got to start with start with not acting out the shameful behavior. Of course, he feels shame around sex. What is he out there doing? What is she out there doing? So um, first, the behavior has to stop. 
then the support and 12 steps and all that stuff have to take place. And then if this person is struggling with intimacy, which a lot of us do, because that's what underlines sex addiction is an intimacy disorder, you'll have to get some therapy around that. But like Tammy said, he's looking all the way down the path and saying, oh my God, bad things are going to happen down there. He's not looking right in front of him, which is a spouse who's really hopeful that things are going to get better and sitting back and saying on some level, why are you bullshitting me when I just need you to get to work? I know. Tammy, you have any other thoughts? I do, because the other thing is we talk about the meeting and um, I want to be really clear that, you know, it's Sexaholics Anonymous. I mean, anonymous, you know. T talking on some level about the meeting, like, uh, you know, that was a really good meeting for me. It was important for me, whatever. But I don't talk about the details in meetings that that is kind of sacred in, within the meeting. I don't talk about other people. You know, if, if I'm in the grocery store and I meet somebody, you know, and I say hi, like now my family kind of figures it out. But, you know, I never call out somebody else. But I'm really confused and concerned about the we found a person in an essay meeting that he attends once a week. And honestly, if all he's doing is attending a meeting once a week, you know, that's a whole nother reason why he's never going to get, you know, he's never going to get different or better. You're talking about a chronic condition that is pervasive and he's going to one S meeting a week. So I hope he's here listening. Next question. You ready? Sure. Okay, my husband of 30 years had unprotected sex with a prostitute seven years ago. I found out when I got an STD, which he tried to say was a lap dance on his 50th birthday gone wrong. He was <laughs> recently like charged. It exactly know, as he yeah. wanted it to go. Sorry. He was, and we don't mean to laugh, but, but honestly, like it's the, our job. the stuff that addicts come up with, you know, it's like, you know, oh it's yeah, sad. that sounds really good. Yeah, it is. Anyway, it go is. ahead. So, he was recently charged with soliciting a 14-year-old online and providing sexual material, which was a police sting, and he is in jail serving four-month sentence. He was also admitted to soliciting um, other girls online, not 14, and meeting the same girl for blowjobs several times. I think this information may have been on his confiscated computer. He says he will never cheat again, sure, and learned his lesson. What do you think? Somebody's saying, um, read slower. Okay, I'm sorry. So... But aren't they, they can read the questions too, can't they, Tammy? I think so, yeah. I think, I don't anyway. know, you guys don't. So, so I guess I can only tell you more my emotional response than I can put it into words. I don't think I can fully say this as a therapist because I have a feeling there's even more to this story. Um, I would cut, bait, and run. I would get a divorce lawyer. I would leave this guy. Um, I would move on. You have grandchildren? You know, is he ever around a school where there's people, kids playing soccer or um, when is he going to go to prison? Because if they took his computer and let me just tell you what happens to these guys, because I've worked, I do, I do expert witness work. I work in the courts. I work the defense of some of these gentlemen, um, you know, whether it's around their losing their licenses or, you know, these kinds of issues. He's going to if they have his computer right now, usually what they do is they say, we're going to look at your computer and we'll let you know what we decide later. And the person then sits around thinking, uh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? That's when some of the people I work with kill themselves because they think, oh, my God, the police are going to find this and what's going to happen to me. And they're right. Um, and then they will come back and they'll decide, you know, if it was under 100 images, it's a state crime. If it was over 100 images, it's a federal crime. And if there were, if there were underage uh, kids involved and they were out of state, he's going to go to prison for a very long time. Um, if I knew if I was your therapist 
and you told me that he admitted to soliciting other girls online, if I was your therapist, I would have to go to the police. It would be my job to say, I'm working with this woman. She said her husband did this very, very serious stuff. So you're not a spouse has been betrayed. You have not a spouse has been violated. You're living with a sex offender. Now he may be interested in adult sexuality too, but you know, he's breaking the law and he's violating kids. And, you know, what more do you need to say, if nothing else, I want to get away from this guy for a while. He's got a four month sentence. I would have given him a little longer. So I think this is a great time for you to reassess. How can you take care of yourself financially and emotionally? He wasn't just lying to you. I mean, this is just, um, he violates other people and in ways that they don't have a choice about, because when you're underage, you cannot consent. I don't care if you're a sex worker and you're 14, if that's what sadly you end up, you can't, still can't say, okay, I'm a sex worker, I'm into it, forget my age. You still cannot consent until you can legally consent. So if they find this stuff online, the police or the FBI and their names, you're not gonna see them for a very long time. And I'm not sure I'd wanna see them for a long time anyway. And I'd yeah. be worried about my kids and grandkids. I'd say that. Yeah, yeah no, I, Sorry. I, I, no, I, yeah, but that everyone goes, oh, I learned my lesson. I'm not going to do this again. And, you know, that's just not the case. So, okay, married 15 well, years. I will say this one more. I'm sorry. But, we also run a treatment center. And, you know, this is exactly the kind of, I mean, we don't usually see hands-on offenders, but he started with porn, emotional affairs. I mean, this is an addictive pattern. So, I can see him going to seeking integrity. I mean, when he comes out of treatment in, in therapy, sorry, prison. In fact, sometimes you say to a parole officer, I would love to, or a lawyer, let me get him into treatment. Will that help his situation? Um, and treatment is the best thing this person can do. Trust me. Um, what else? I'm sorry, Tam, I interrupted No, it's you. okay. It's the next question. Married 15 years, husband has porn addiction and has been texting and emotional affairs. We are both adopted mm -hmm. and I know about grief, loss, and abandonment issues that go deep. I understand this pain and he copes through porn and the need for attention from others. He hasn't reached out for help, although he keeps promising. Should I keep hanging in there and continue to encourage and suffer or separate for a time and hope he gets help? I don't know if this is helpful, but sometimes I do consultations online and they're usually about two hours that I'll work with a couple or I'll work with an individual. And we recently had someone who, um, whose spouse was, well, let me say it this way. The couple was, they would say to me when I met with them online, everything is great. We have the best relationship. We love each other so much. It's just that this happened. And what do we do because everything else is great and we work together and we live together. It's just that this happened. And what I had to say to them is I think you're enmeshed. <laughs> you know, you guys are so caught up in each other's lives. You're so over engaged with your, in other words, you're so reliant on each other's stability for stability. There's an over dependency going on here. And the reason I'm saying that is because you completely identify with his pain because you have similar pain, but you don't, you're not taking care of yourself and sitting back and saying, what the F why isn't this guy, if he wants to be with me and protect us, you know, and protect us from, look, he, you've been through pain and pain and abandonment, what are the words you use? Grief, loss, and abandonment. Don't you realize every time he turns to the computer, you're being abandoned again? How, and that's about you, not about this person. If it were me, I don't know if these are the options, but if the, so let me just say one more thing. Actually, Tammy, I'm going to ask you because I know you'll get this right. Her last sentence, I think it's a woman because I read the name. It is. Should I separate in a time in hopes that he will get help? 
So do you know how many phone calls I answer where people are hoping he get, gets help? I know that he has to be willing to do that. And I said, people don't just magically come to treatment or get real help until there's a crisis, until there's a shift where somebody has had enough. And that could be therapeutic separation. It doesn't have to be divorce. I mean, whatever is going to be the right boundary for you. Um, but yeah, um, you hoping you know, he gets to keep doing whatever he's doing. And I thought the same thing that Dr. Rob said. I was like, so you guys have, you know, similar processes. You're adopted. You know, all these things. I don't hear that you're a porn addict or going out, you know, texting and things like that. You found a different way to cope. You're here. You've got a support right. network, whatever you've gotten. So he could also, it, so it's a reason, but it's not an excuse. And uh, Troy Love does a lot, talks a lot about um, those attachment wounds. And he's got a, a partner group alternating Thursdays and every Friday he's got a guy's group. Um, uh, and it's really good and it talks about those things. So, but, you know, he's, in my opinion, he's gonna keep doing what he's doing, you know, unfortunately, cause it's scary. Like, you know, we've heard in a couple other posts. And I'll just say more, more, just more directly, because Tammy, you are so, so sweet. Um, you really take the time and I'm much more of the hammer. You know, it's like, um, um, this person said they're in, in internal family systems therapy. They dropped a little chat and internal family system. Many therapies are very useful, but not if someone's acting out because they are in a process. Okay, I'll just give you a little therapy secret. Our job is to raise your anxiety a little bit just to get you uncomfortable enough to begin to look at things or open up. Because as Tammy said, people are content. They don't really wanna look at things and they prefer not to. So we, we do a little emotional pinpricking every once in a while to help you move forward. That's part of our job. However, addicts, when they feel a little emotional pinprick, they run to their behavior. And so the therapy really isn't, you may learn things and maybe later on if you get sober, they're really useful. But at this time, he's or she is not be able to take advantage of the therapy you're doing. And I have to say, I've worked with a lot of spouses and I know Tammy hears this all the time, who say things like, well, we've gone to, he, he said we should go to couples therapy. I wanted us to go to couples therapy. Couples therapy ain't it. You know, couples therapy, most couples therapists would not have a clue how to work with this. Um, they are just, this would not be their forte. Unaffair, yes. You know, um, keeps flirting with women at work, maybe, or, or, you know, talks to old boyfriends online, sure. But compulsive and repetitive patterns of lying and keeping secrets and emotional violation, that requires a, a professional. And the first thing most of us would say is, not all of us would say it's too soon for couples therapy because you need to get angry. He needs to go get help. He can't turn to you for support right now because you should be really angry at him. And you can't turn to him for it. Well, and you don't want to turn to him for support because you don't trust him. So this is what we, you know, this is why we do all these groups on sex and relationshiphealing.com. I am saying that it's free. But for you to get a sense of what other people who are in your situation are doing, and it may be from their strength that you think, you know, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. No one's pain is your pain, and your pain is not anyone else's pain. You may have been through similar things, but you are different people. This man is acting out his pain and pulling the wool over your eyes at the same time. You've got to protect yourself. Some of us who grew up in abusive families did not learn when we were supposed to protect ourselves because we didn't learn, because bad things were happening, and that was just normal. But in a case like this, and you have trauma and abuse, you need to protect yourself. 
You don't need to go anywhere to make him do anything. You need to go somewhere because you and your own home are being lied to and betrayed and violated. And you already know what that's like. Do you want to put yourself through that again? And then if this person, as Tammy says, when they feel the rope around their throat, sometimes they say, oops, I better do something about that. If as you take care of yourself, this person decides, oh, I don't want to lose this. I want to get back on the bus. Then he or she will start working on it. But you have to take care of yourself. And I think that's the thing, as Tammy said, spouses don't always get is I'll show her, I'll leave. And then they'll, great. So you give them the opportunity to see more, you know. It has to be, I don't want to tolerate this anymore, and I don't want to support you anymore or even be around you anymore when you're hurting me actively. And that is a reason to step away, or I'm afraid of you. So the next question, porn addict, clean for 250 days and just finished your book, Out of the Doghouse. I'm 42 with four-year-old daughter. My wife asked oh, me sweet. in September if I'm using porn, and I said yes. She asked me to move out of the house, and so I've been out of my own place for three months. Uh, six months was the initial time frame. Attending SLAA sponsored, see a therapist as well as a CSAT once a week to work on disclosure. I want to share everything from the book as it gives me hope and a plan for reconciliation. My wife is very hurt right now and has little energy for relationship work with me. And I don't blame her. How can I support her in the meantime? Um, ask her. You know, um, I don't want to get in your way. I don't want to get in your, you may be mad at me. You know, I know we're just in the initial stages of still, you know, um, but it's been almost a year and I really do care about you. And, I, you know, let, um, or you can volunteer, you know, oh, the kids need picking up. Let me just do that for you this week. Or, you know, what did I do this? Oh, I said, why don't we order food in tonight? You know, try to do small things that you're doing to make someone feel better, not because you want them to respond in a particular way, because you want them to feel good. And without expectation, I'm going to do this for them. And then they're going to be really, no, they may not even like that you did it for them because they're going to feel like you're using them, but at least you did it. So I think that there's a lot in this question about, about me. You know, how can I get my spouse to be where I want them to be just in the last few? I mean, you say she has little energy for a relationship with me. She's very hurt because of what you did. You're not the one who can support her. You can say, you know, I have let you down and hurt you. And I can imagine you don't want anything from me. But if there's anything I can do, helping around the house, showing up for you, getting into, the, you know, whatever I can do to make it better, you know, that's that's your job. And she needs to know or he needs to know that when they are ready, I want to say one more thing about this. It's very hard to ask for help. It's very hard to ask for support in the best of circumstances. And, uh, and when I'm angry at someone and they've hurt me and let me down, I don't want to turn to them for help because I'm angry and they might let me down again. So there isn't much you can do to support her. She doesn't trust you. Um, the other thing is I just wanted to say, I really hope that you do get back together. That's my hope for you. Mm -hmm. It just sounds like you're both doing good work and you know, I would also say that, you know, three to six months, if you're going to be separated, and then it's probably time to start looking. I like your timeline because I've talked to couples at Tammy and I have, well, this person's been out of the house two years and they're hoping it's going to work out. You know, couples are working toward things don't go that long without living back together and healing. So it sounds like you've got a great framework for doing this. And I would just be a little more curious or observant about what your spouse needs without, you know, jumping into the well. Hey, Tammy, I wanted to ask a question that was uh, answer a question because it's a really simple one. So yes. I was scrolling down. It's only one sentence. Would you please speak about love addiction? Yes. And I just and wanted I, to say with that. 
I had somebody that, that asked about that. They believed that they were a love addict because they were a partner of somebody that was was dealing with sex addiction. And I said, I don't think that's love addict. So please do clarify. So all addicts are very needful people. We didn't grow up getting our needs met. We looked everywhere to get our met. We used drugs and alcohol to get our needs, you know, so we desperately search to get attention and to feel okay and validated and all that stuff. That's who we are. Sometimes when we're presented with the possibility, <clears throat> a date, a person, set, whatever that is. How do I say this? When I meet someone who has the potential to meet my needs and be emotionally available and make me feel what I didn't get when I was a kid, um, for, I just can get so emotional about it that I can't see them clearly. Meaning, oh, look at the moonbeams in their eyes and look, there's skylight coming out of their head and I can't stop talking to every friend I know about them and every minute we want to be together. And that's perfectly fine except if you haven't noticed that they're doing heroin and they're still married to someone else and they're relying on you to pay for dinner. You know, I think that what happens is love addicts lose the ability to discern. They have a problem with discernment. Their needs become so great that they overlook the reality of who they're with. And then they punish that person because that once they realize, oh, I'm with someone who they're not who I thought that they were, then they make that person wrong for not doing who they wanted them to be. And so, and so the answer is a little bit what we talked about before. It's getting nurtured and fulfilled yourself. It's understanding that you yourself probably won't make good choices around a supporter who knows you and knows your stuff. And you can tell them about your dates and then they can say, yes, go on another date or don't go on another date. Here's a simple way to stay sober. If you're a sex addict, find a really good person in 12-step recovery who's going to be there for you and they've got solid recovery and say, would you be willing to take a call whenever I feel like having sex? <laughs> and if I don't get through with you, I'm going to go through with you and you and you. This is what alcoholics do. I feel like drinking. Well, instead of drinking, I'm going to call this person first. You know, we, we are no different. We want to run into disconnection. And so love addiction, love addiction. It's about making bad choices over and over again because you're so needful that you lose the ability to discern the good people from the bad people. And in order to do that, you need to give up on the idea that you're going to pick the right person and let people who know your stuff help you find someone. I will say one more thing about dating, by the way. If you want a good understanding of whether you're dating the right person or not, bring them around your family, bring them around your friends, bring them. If you find yourself saying, oh, I don't think they're ready to meet my friends. And maybe then you're probably with the wrong person because who is the best, who are the best people to reflect back to you how this is? And if this is going to work for you, the people that love you and care about you, if these are the people who do, then here's the hard part. You have to listen. If everyone you love says, oh, I don't like this guy, you know, she's not whatever, listen to them, step back and pay attention. Don't say, oh, well, they don't really know him or her, or that's love addiction. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.